You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. I'll be reading from verses 8 through 14. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, for children this morning, we will be dismissing ages 2 through 5 and grades 1 through 3. You may be seated. Thank you, Dean. Thank you to those who are serving in Redemptional Kids. Uh, Kiddos, if you're in the service, we do have totes, and uh, the sermon notes are over there on that music stand that serves you. All right. Man, I love Advent. Amen to that. I don't know. It's not in my notes. just wanted to say it. <laughs> I just love this time of year. Uh, so we're on our Advent sermon series called Carols of Christmas. Um, I said last week a carol basically means a hymn, an ancient hymn. For several weeks, we are looking at some of our favorite carols and perhaps one or two not-so-well-known carols that We'll introduce. I'm working with Ryan uh, to that end. He's got he's got a few on. A, he's, got, he's got a list that I haven't seen yet. I got I got to look at it. He's like, oh, we got to look at these. Um, we obviously can't do all of them, but we're gonna um, pick some ones. Pick some carols that are rich. Um, I am I am taking this sermon series one week at a time, which is fairly unusual for me. My regular rhythm is to map out an entire sermon series and then, you know, make adjustments along the way because life happens and maybe the Lord's directed me to preach a specific message on a specific week. But as I mentioned last week, uh, the rabbit hole of Christian uh, Christmas hymns or carols goes very, very deep. So I'm kind of leaving my options open. This morning, I'm going to put a spotlight on Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I 
put a copy in the chairs in front of you if you want to see the text that I'll be working off of, uh, or the version of Hark the Herald Angels Sing that I'll be working off of. And as you've noticed from the public reading of God's Word, the most closely associated uh, passage to this carol is probably going to be Luke 2, right? Uh, And so we'll get into that as well in a moment. I know this is somewhat juvenile, but I, I, when, I, when I think of Hark the Herald, the Angels Sing, my mind goes to like a Charlie Brown Christmas. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's actually one of my, my favorite, like every uh, Christmas season I watch that, you know. Um, so, but perhaps after today, my initial thought when I hear this carol will maybe change a little bit. Hope so. Or maybe not, you know. Charlie Brown Christmas, pretty cute. Uh, one, one more note before I pray and begin. Uh, the way I am preaching the messages in this sermon series is not my preferred method. However, I gotta say, I've really enjoyed learning more about the history of various Christmas carols. That's an, I enjoy that as a guy who studied a lot of church history. I, I really like that. And I hope that you enjoy learning about the history and seeing how the carols we sing at Redemption Hill are saturated with Holy Scripture. As I said last week, we're not singing jingle bells. We're not, I'm not preaching on jingle bells. Uh, I'm going to say something that might be a bit controversial. I'm just not a fan. I'm not in favor of a children's choir getting in front of the church to sing jingle bells. Yeah, it might look cute, but that is not worship. <laughs> it's not worship. And don't get me wrong, traipsing a bunch of kids who look cute, who got dressed up to the jingle bell. That looks cute, right? But it's not worship. It's not worship. I'm going to do it outside of church? Great. I mean, what about this one? I, I pointed this out last week. We don't sing the song, Oh Christmas Tree. And as my oldest daughter pointed out, she's like, Dad, that's pretty pantheistic. Like, we're worshiping the tree. <laughs> if you look at, I went and looked at the lyrics, I'm like, yeah, that's kind of what's going on here when we sing, Oh Christmas Tree. <laughs> so be careful on that one. Uh, maybe we want to skip that one altogether. So, uh, point being, we're intentional about what we sing here at Redemption Hill Church. We're singing truth, right? And may that always be the case. All right, let me pray, and then let's get into today's message. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, this good day that you have created for us. Even the air we breathe is because of your mercy. And Lord, now as we come to the preaching of your word, as you look at a beautiful carol in the, in the scripture that is just underneath and holding up this particular carol, I pray that we would be encouraged from the preaching of your word. Lord, help me to be faithful. And I pray for my friends in front of me. May they receive what you have for them this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Allow me to uh, state a proposition that that I think most of you are going to agree with. Men and women were born to worship, but Jesus Christ was born to be worshipped. I think on the whole, this kind of church agrees with that kind of statement. Men and women were born to worship, but Jesus Christ was born to be worshipped. If I'm right, and men and women were born to worship, then it follows that the greatest and most excellent object of our worship is Christ, Jesus Christ. Again, I don't think I've stated anything controversial up to this point. 
Now, here's where I'm going to kind of stick my hand into the beehive. If Christians agree that Jesus Christ is the object of our worship, then why does not function follow belief? Why is it that we know Jesus is the only worthy object of our worship, but then proceed to be tempted to be worshiping idols? Listen, I'm not attempting to project shame in that kind of diagnosis, right? It's not my point. Uh, The good Lord knows that there are a lot of idols that bid me to worship it, right? I am addressing what it is I believe that I am addressing that we want to allow our function to follow what we believe. And in the Advent season during Christmas, that disconnect is actually most obvious. Many of you, along with me, love Christmas. We love the Christmas season. We are thrilled when there is snow on the ground on Christmas Day, thus fulfilling an image of Christmas that we like have in our minds, right? Like we want it on Christmas Day, then it's no other day. <laughs> just Christmas Day, just give it to you that day. Like how do we sing about there being a white Christmas when there is no snow on the ground? I've got to talk to a Floridian about that. In a Christian's zeal and love for Christmas, it's easy to lose focus on the object of our worship. We become so busy that it seems impossible to slow down and reflect, even for a moment, what this season is all about. Like, I hope even today, right now, in the busyness of your life, and I know you're busy, and it's probably the most, it's probably the busiest month of the year for you all. I get that. But even just like right now, here at Schuler Elementary, between 10 and 11.30 a.m., can we just slow down and actually redirect our focus on the object of our worship, right? Because the moment you guys leave, right, the busyness picks up. The to-do list needs to get checked off. The presents need to be bought. I was just talking with Sharice about, like, all these Christmas parties that we have to go to, right? I get it. It's there. But even just right now that we can settle our hearts and our minds, just redirect our focus. Christ is the object of our worship. Like how many times have you intentionally stopped what you're doing and said something to the fact, I'm talking to myself, thank you, Father God, for sending your son into the world to save the world. Like we sing about it, right, which is good. We sing about it on Sunday morning. You hear this truth from the pulpit, which is right. But as we stop and reflect now, can we even build in some times throughout our week, perhaps 10 a.m. on Monday morning or 2 p.m. on Wednesday afternoon, where you actually stop and remember and reflect on the goodness of God to send his son into the world in order to save the world? We just, even in the middle of the week, Monday to Saturday, pause. Perhaps you like me, and you need more reminders of who is the object of my worship. Yes, right now, but also 24-7. If you're anything like me, then I invite you to join me to worship our way to that end. I hope that a carol like Hark the Herald, Angels Sing, will cultivate in your heart 
constant worship to Christ. Before we look at the various uh, scriptures popping up in this carol, I want to tell you, uh, like I said earlier, a little of the history of this carol. A reason why I want to tell you the history of this carol is that so that you can see, Christian, you are connected to millions of other Christians who have given praise to the everlasting God with the first word that we sing in this carol. Hark. Like not just connected to one another in Christ, but millions of other people who start with that word, hark. Last week, when I highlighted uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, I said it is probably the oldest Christmas carol that we continue to sing. I said that it was probably written to be a hymn about the second advent of Jesus Christ. And unless you have a, a PhD in Christmas carols, you've never heard the name of the original author from the 1800s, nor the person who probably made the carol famous when he translated it from Latin to English in the 19th century. The carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, is not nearly as old as O Come, O Come Emmanuel, but there are a few goats, greatest of all time, as the kids tell me, a few goats who wrote this hymn. The first iteration of this carol was probably written by the legendary poet and songwriter Charles Wesley. This is where I, I get geeked out. Like, if you're not familiar with Charles Wesley, it's likely you have sung some of his songs at some point in your life, especially if you grew up in the church. Here at Redemption, here's an example. Here at Redemption Hill, we sing from time to time, and can it be that I should gain? Uh, Sovereign Grace Music uh, has repopularized, repopularized, go with it, uh, this song, right? But it was first written by Wesley. Charles Wesley, the youngest of 18 children, which is insane, wrote over 3,000 hymns. But I read somewhere else that he actually wrote over 6,000 hymns. Now, regardless whether it's 3,000 or 6,000, let's just say he wrote a lot, a ton. In 1737, Wesley sat down once again to compose another hymn. The first line of this new hymn is... Hark, how all the welkin rings, notice the language there, glory to the king of kings. Now, unless some of you are like some Shakespeare novel, you know, you're up in Shakespeare, you're probably looking at that and be like, what, what, welkin? What does that mean? That is the first and obvious difference between what we sing. What does Welkin mean? In England, during the 1700s, Welkin meant, and I love this, the vault of heaven makes a loud noise. That's what Welkin means. That's what Wesley was trying to communicate. The vault of heaven makes a loud noise. What do you put into a vault? Everything that is valuable and precious. All the important things like go into the vault. I'm going to connect the word Welkin to Luke 2 in a moment because there is more history to this hymn that I find fascinating. So I'll make that connection here. To understand what I'm about to say, you need to know that Wesley was a fine theologian, pastor, and academic. He used words very intentionally. 
To use the word welkin is the best word to use to describe the scene where an angel comes upon the shepherds to pronounce the birth of the Messiah. Well, as the story goes, Wesley, who is a goat, was friends for a time with another goat, greatest of all time, George Whitfield. If you were to take a Bible class on American church history, you would be at some point be introduced to George Whitfield, who played a major role in the Great Awakening in America in the 1730s and 1740s. Whitfield would preach and be used by God to reach hearts and minds with the gospel. Massive revival broke out during that time, 1730s, 1740s. So what is the connection between Wesley and Whitfield? Whitfield, who was not a precise theologian, not like Wesley, took the lyrics of Hark the Herald Angel Sing and amended the lyrics. It is because of Whitfield that the hymn became popular while at the same time stamping images into our brain because of what we're singing. By the way, this is just a tidbit. Scholars suggest that, that Wesley was not happy that Whitfield made these changes. Not happy at all. Now, here's where I'm going to crush some dreams. We talked about this earlier before worship, right? Like, I'm crushing some dreams today. Um, but hopefully this makes you a better Bible reader. Because Wesley read the Luke 2 passage, verses 8 to 14, literally, and he wrote his hymns based upon a general literal reading of the text, he knew that there was no passage in the Bible where angels are described as singing. Think about that first line. That, Hark the herald angels sing. Wait a second. But Wesley knew that. Now, we talked earlier uh, Logan pulled out you know, his Bible app and he's like, well, we could go to Re- you know, Revelation 5. Perhaps we can go to Job 37, 38, verse 7. Perhaps, but it's still not clear. What we know for sure is that angels praise God. We know that for sure. We know that angels shout for joy. That's the Job passage. Here is what the shepherds witnessed after they were told about the birth of Jesus. And suddenly there was... The angel, the angel of the Lord, we read earlier, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he, God, is pleased. I'm going to repeat those two verses a few more times. If you are committed to singing the opening line of today's hymn, go for it. That's cool. I'm, I'm down. I'm not going to be shocked if when I die, the heavenly host in Luke 2, verse 13, includes angelic, angelic beings singing. But I find the history interesting, and I hope enriches your love for this carol. Now on to the details of the carol. There are many ways to approach Hark the Herald Angels Sing because there are just so many different themes being addressed, including the one I just mentioned, but I chose three. This is first a carol about the gospel. We want to see that. It's a carol about praise. It's a carol for the nations. We see all these themes, and I want to show you. So let's begin with the gospel. 
Christians use the word gospel a lot. Uh, The gospel is the good news of how God reconciles sinners to himself. The gospel is God's plan and path of redemption for his people. Baked into the cake of this carol are lyrics about the gospel. For example, we sing in the carol, God and sinners reconciled. We need to be thinking when we read that and when we sing that, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, amen, and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. So you see the scripture underneath what we're singing. Here's another one. Hail the son of righteousness. When we sing that, we could be thinking about Malachi 4.2. But for you who fear my name, the prophet says, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. I love this line. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Like we got horses at our stall. And you put the young little babies in a stall for too long and then you let them open pasture. They are gone. They are leaping. They are running around. They're free. When we sing, born that man no more may die, we we could be thinking about, should be thinking about, John 11, verses 24 and 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Such a great question to follow up that statement. He said, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Like when you sing those lyrics, do you believe that as a follower of Jesus Christ, at the end of the day, you don't die. You go to be with this mortal body. Well, decay, I'm 42, feeling like 52. It's it's decaying, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to die. Because of the gospel. Because of Christ. Here's one more gospel bomb from this hymn. Born to give them second birth. Here's what Jesus says to Nicodemus in John 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Man, if you know the Lord, you've been born again. Praise the Lord. Man, when we sing that line, may your hearts be filled with gratitude. Right? I, knew, I know I just threw a lot of lyrics and Bible passages at you just in the last few minutes, but now I want to make a few comments about the gospel during the Advent season, right? We're singing it, hear it preached. Let's think more deeply. Allow Jesus, I would say, to be Lord over your life during Advent. Of course, every day, every moment. But let's just hone in on this time of year. Allow Jesus to be Lord over your life during Advent. Surrendering to the gospel is not just fire insurance, like keeping you from hell, but the gospel transforms your life. Right? You might ask, Pastor Sean, what does that mean? What does it look like, right, to be transformed by the gospel, in particular during the Advent season? Here's some simple examples to to help you, to show you perhaps what it looks like to surrender to Jesus this time of year. How about this? People give presents this time of year, right? 
my wife is great with getting the list and, you know, grateful. Um, you know, my wife gets me a gift or whatever. But how about this? How about when you get that gift, say thank you? Make the assumption that it's the time of year and so it's just kind of the thing that happens. Extend gratitude to the gift giver. And after you've done that, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord because you know what? You do not deserve that gift. Oh, we feel like we deserve it, but we don't at all. Gratitude to God acknowledges you do not deserve anything, but God has given you something, or God through someone else has given you something. Even more pointed, you do not deserve Christ. But you, Christian, God has given you Christ. He's given you faith to believe in Christ. Oh, man, that should shape how we live during the Advent season. Uh, here's additional advice for all of you who are not asking, <laughs> but I'm giving. <laughs> uh, ensure your primary traditions include gathering with the church family. Uh, the temptation for some during Christmas is to allow the other family traditions to usurp the importance of gathering with the church body to celebrate the birth of Christ. Listen, I understand people travel during the holidays. I get it. I don't begrudge that at all. Go be with family, right? I know people get sick. I mean, my, my youngest is sick right now. She had 101 fever this morning. She's not here. I get it, right? Understood. However, there is a difference between needing to travel and neglecting to gather with the church body. You surrender to Jesus as Lord when you gather with the visible church. And I'm highlighting this because December is just so stinking busy. But we've got to prioritize that. We, we show up to church, right? Because we sing the gospel to one another and to ourselves, and we need to hear the gospel preached to us. Now, some you know, might respond and say, dude, that's just legalism. And my response would be, showing up to church to worship Christ is commanded by God. Legalism adds to the gospel. Obeying God's command cultivates the gospel. Two big differences. One more example of what it means to allow Jesus to be Lord over your life this Advent I think it is good to have Christ-focused traditions. I love traditions. I'm so grateful I got a wife to, that cultivates traditions in our home and with our kids. Traditions serve as rituals that send a message to the people that you're doing that tradition with. For example, every family member, every family of this church, uh, hopefully received those Advent cards that Emily Swinger handed out last week. Perhaps those Advent cards become a tradition in your family or with your friends. If the Advent cards do not become a tradition in your life, perhaps the cards spark another idea to create a Christ-centered tradition. Like, create Christ-centered traditions. And listen, I'm not against the mundane traditions either. Like, before we realized Izzy was sick, uh, the Powers family this afternoon was supposed to go to some random field where I go and take a saw, and I cut that saw with three supervisors, right? I got three supervisors when I do the Christmas tree. And I cut that tree down, and my supervisors watch me drag the tree to the truck. And my supervisors watch me put the tree um, into the truck, and then the supervisors tell me to go home. And so I go home, and then the supervisors watch me, and they tell me to take the tree into the house, and I put up the tree. It's a mundane tradition, right? I'm grateful for my three supervisors. It's a mundane tradition, but you know what? We're doing it together as a family, Right? 
the natural family together doing that mundane tradition. So I'm for the mundane traditions, but I'm especially focused on the Christ-centered traditions. So if God is the one who allows for reconciliation, if God heals through faith in the gospel, if, God, if the gospel guarantees that you ultimately do not die, all themes within our carol, if the gospel is the means of second birth, if all this is true, then I think it is worth submitting yourself to the one who endured, who has ensured, excuse me, that all that has taken place, Jesus Christ. Hark the herald angels sing is first and foremost about the gospel. And because this is the case, the Lord is worthy of our praise. So it is stating the obvious, but this carol is also about praising God. But I want to point out a dimension of our praise that I think is often overlooked. What do we sing in verse 1 of this carol? With the angelic host proclaim... Christ is born in Bethlehem. Table the question about whether angels sing or not. Just That actually kind of misses the point. It's a, it's a fun talking point, but it does miss the point. The point this carol makes is that the shepherds join the angels in praising God. But it is not just the angel, actually it's singular here, and shepherds who praise God. Back to Luke 2, verses 13 and 14 for a moment. With the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those of whom he is pleased. The immediate question I want to answer is, who are the heavenly host? Like light bulb, like, whoa. But the angel, the shepherds, heavenly host. The passage does not say that a multitude of angels join the one angel to praise God. The picture is most often that, that is the picture most often presented through media and art. There are a bunch of angels hovering above the ground, probably around 30 to 40 feet, maybe, maybe 20, and with the shepherd's feet firmly fixed on the ground. I'm not sure the text is telling us to think of this. I think there's several possible answers. What I tend to think is that more is being communicated than we could possibly realize. Read with me Psalm 89. Let the heavens praise, there's that word again, praise, your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who is in the skies can we compare to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings? Is that angels? I, I don't know. Is like the Lord. A God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. The angels, the heavenly beings, and the Lord God Almighty. I think there's more going on in Luke 2 than meets the eye. It seems to me that all supernatural beings in service to God Almighty were present to praise God for the birth of the Son of God. The story of the angel proclaiming the good news of the gospel to the shepherds is a remarkable picture. It is. It's a remarkable picture for at least two reasons. The first reason why this scene is remarkable is that the shepherds were the most unremarkable people in their society at the time. They were your blue-collar, grinded-out, work-with-your-hands kind of folk. Being a shepherd was a necessary profession, but not a desirable profession. 
You're constantly outside attending to dumb sheep who constantly look for ways to hurt themselves. If you've ever worked with large animals, that's always the case. It's like, how do we keep you alive? That's the goal. A shepherd was hot in the daytime and cold at night. If anyone needed a shower on the daily, it's going to be the shepherd. Yet, the angel did not visit the local mayor. The angel did not visit the city council. The angel did not visit the priest in the local synagogue. Nope. He visited lowly shepherds. One of the points God is making by directing the angel to reveal to the shepherds that the Messiah has come is that the Messiah is for all. The Messiah is for the nations. More on that in a moment. So that's a remarkable scene. That the angel of the Lord would just go to these shepherds. The second reason why I think Luke 2, verses 8 to 14, is is a remarkable picture, is this picture of this joining of heaven and earth. Right? I mean, for a moment, remove from your mind the Charlie Brown caricature of this scene. The angel, the shepherds, the heavenly host, whatever that means, all in the same place in some random field, worshiping the Lord God Almighty because of the birth of the Messiah. This is a picture of what was and what will be. This is a picture of the Garden of Eden. Perfect relationship between the spiritual and the physical, right? This is a picture of the past and a picture of a future garden city, Revelation 21. Between the two gardens, we oftentimes receive a glimpse of what the reunion of heaven and earth is going to look like. Not surprising, Hark the Herald Angels Sing picks up on this theme. Here is all of verse 2 of this carol. Christ, by highest heaven adored. Christ, the everlasting Lord. Man, we want to belt that lyric out. Christ, the everlasting Lord. The Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. Late in time, behold him come. Offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Please with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Man, Christ is everlasting, meaning the Word was there before the foundation of the world, rightly as Dean pointed out in his prayer, going to John 1.1. But the Word became flesh, John 1.14. But in the flesh, the Word, the Son of God, was still truly and fully divine. Hail the incarnate deity, we sing. And as we sing, the Son of God was pleased to dwell in the flesh. The Messiah was pleased, not because of our sin and rebellion. He was pleased because he knew the path back to God was through his death. The path back to God for you and me was through his death. He was pleased to become the atoning sacrifice that we need. He was pleased to live up to the name that we use so often during this time of year, Emmanuel, God with us. Which, by the way, with those Advent cards for, for December 2nd, yesterday, that was the name 
that if you used them, that you looked at, you talked about with your friends or family. Emmanuel, God with us. So, the first point is that this carol is about the gospel. And because this carol is about the gospel, this is our second point. God deserves to receive our praise. Now, here's my last point. Hark the herald angels sing is a carol for the nations. We sing in verse 1. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. Remember that, that heavenly host and the angels singing? Like we want, to, we want the nations to join that. We've already seen the importance of earth joining heaven and praising God. But we can broaden the praise from a relatively small area on the planet, right? this, this field where the shepherds are at, and invite in the nations. The point to be made is that from a no-name town called Bethlehem would come the newborn king. Consider the spread of the gospel since the life, death, and res- resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. Are not many nations rising up to sing? Hark the herald angels sing? Can I not go to Mexico, Uganda, or the underground church in China and sing with brothers and sisters in Christ about the gospel? I can. I can. Perhaps this carol has a prophetic bent to it. It says, joyful, all ye nations rise. Note the word all. All nations will one day worship the Lord. Last week I I mentioned that Haggai uh, chapter 4 verse 7 is one of the scripture references upholding O come, O come, Emmanuel. Well, it's relevant in this carol. We read, and I will shake all nations. It's pretty inclusive. All means all, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will desire the Lord regardless of whether they acknowledge him or not. He is sovereign over all things. There will be a day when the Lord is the object of their deepest and highest longings. The Lord is currently sovereign and ruling over every nation, but there will be a day when every nation will surrender and join us. Join us, this little church in the middle of Iowa, Redemption Hill. Join us in singing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Man, I I look forward to that day when every nation surrenders itself to the Lord, which will result in praise. There's a few more points I want to draw out from this carol and from Luke 2, verses 8 to 14. From Luke chapter 2, there are two positive consequences of the coming of the newborn king. God's glory and your peace. Glory to God in the highest, verse 14. There it is, glory. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Like growing up, in the Catholic Church, we would often actually sing that verse like every single Sunday. Um, I won't do that for you right now. I won't, I won't allow, make you suffer through that. God the Father, though, is glorified through the Son. God is glorified as the nations surrender to the Son. God is glorified when we gather to praise God. God is the object of our worship when we worship and bring Him glory, right? He's the object. 
That's a positive consequence. God always gets the glory. Let's not steal glory from him. Give it. It's all his. The second positive consequence is that those whom God has pleased have peace. Yesterday I gave a 15-minute meditation at the women's brunch on pursuing peace. I won't re-preach that message. But the word pops up again in Luke 2, verse 14. God desires for you to be at peace because you trust in the Son. Puritan theologian Matthew Henry is right when he said, what peace can they have who are not at peace with God? We are tempted to create peace through comfort, perhaps. Sometimes we pursue peace through avoiding hard conversations. We are tempted to find peace in a spouse children or a friend. We're tempted to find peace through a job. For me, for the longest time, I, I tried so hard to find peace through academics. Just being transparent. Wanted to get that PhD so bad. But the Lord knew it was not right for me. I was pursuing peace in all the wrong places. We're tempted to find peace by escaping reality only to be let down when reality like comes back and slaps you in the face. <laughs> the only way you can find peace is to trust in the Son of God. Perhaps J.C. Ryle captures the spirit of the first and second advents of Jesus Christ regarding peace, right? There will be no universal peace till the Prince of Peace appears. You can personally be at peace because of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Like right now, I hope you are a person at peace because of your trust in the Son. Like right now, as you sit, as I preach. But we look forward to lasting peace when he returns to gather the nations and judges the earth. It's not just going to be a peace that I have between myself and God because he's reconciled me through Jesus Christ, but it is a, that kind of peace, it's going to cut through everything. Man, we look forward to that day, which is why we worship the Lord God. Now let's circle back to my introduction. Men and women were born to worship. We were born to worship. The question is, where are you directing your worship? We were born to worship, but Jesus Christ was born to be worshiped. A myriad of many things, a myriad of things are calling you during the Advent season. Indeed, Calvin is right. John Calvin is right when he says our, our hearts are idol factories. And there are a ton of idols that want to fulfill shallow desires, right? They're all out there. But my encouragement to you is to not cave to shallow and limited idols. Redirect your mind, heart, and actions to the Lord. Do it in worship. He is worthy of your worship and praise. Because of the gospel, God is the one who deserves your worship. As a local church, we join millions of Christians from countless nations who sing, hark the herald angels sing. Let's pray. 
You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. 